Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge. That's right, I'm using the new name, the new branding today. You will have clicked on the old cover art, the UK Money Podcast cover art, but I want to ease you guys into it. What I don't want to have happen is all of a sudden a brand new podcast that you've never heard of pops up in your in your podcast feed and you delete me and never listen to me again. So um, the podcast art will be changing this week. So a few days after this episode comes out, I am going to change that. I'm going to take the leap. I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about doing that and about losing, losing a bunch of you guys because I really value you checking in every week. But anyway, today is going to be a UK money podcast, original kind of type of episode. Obviously, I'm bringing more and more interviews with really interesting guests. I've recorded a couple more this week that I'm, I'm really excited to release over the coming weeks. But today, I'm going to be answering a couple of listener questions and I still want to hear these from you. Please, um, please do keep sending your questions through. I really like being able to answer them and give you my thoughts and my feedback on the stuff that you guys got going on in your lives. Now, the these two questions have come through, one via Instagram DM and another one via email. Um, one of them is around capital gains tax. It's a kind of a follow-up question um, from Danny, which I think is a is a good one. Is worth answering. And the other question that I've had is around comparing defined benefit contributions, or sorry, defined benefit pensions, to um, to defined contribution pensions, and looking at how to do that if you're changing changing jobs and that sort of thing. So another good one for us to talk through. And then lastly today, I'm also going to give you a little bit more information of the rebrand in terms of uh, what you can expect going forward, why I've made the change, and what that means for the content that you're going to be receiving. So, let's jump into the very first question, which has come through via email um, from Danny, and I really appreciate Danny getting in touch. Now, one of the benefits of changing the branding is you can get in touch with me at one single place, which is thehedge.io. That's got my email address, uh, a link to email me. It's also got all the different socials. So you can get in touch with me whichever way you want. Um, but Danny's got in touch via email and he's got a question about capital gains tax. And Danny asks, um, well, Danny's email, I'm just going to read it, is thank you so much for addressing my question in your podcast. I have a follow-up question about capital gains tax calculation when it's not very straightforward. So, for example, on May, I bought 10 shares when the price per share was £100. And then in November, I bought an extra 10 shares of the same company and the price per share at that time was £200. In March, so the same tax year, the stock price is now 300 and I want to only sell half of the shares. Um, what do I do with the capital gains tax position? How does that work? How is the capital gains calculated? Now, we're going to assume that there is a capital gain to be paid. So this um, particular share... Uh, will be underneath the tax-free threshold. So it's not something to worry about. But it's a really good question because what can often happen is we buy many of the same thing and then you know the question is which price do you use to work out the capital gain? So if you buy, as Danny has, a whole bunch of a, an, an, a share or a, an investment fund at £100 per unit, £100 per share, you buy some more at £200 and then the price goes down, you buy a few more at 80 you're going to end up having bought a bunch of these different shares at a bunch of different prices. And then the question then comes when you're filling out your paperwork or completing your self-assessment tax return, how do you calculate the tax on that? And luckily, it's actually a very straightforward answer. Now, effectively, all you do is take your average uh, purchase price. So if you buy, let's just make that make it nice and easy for me. If you buy five shares at £100 and then five shares at £200, then your average purchase price is 
150 pounds. So if you then sell them for 250 pounds, your gain is 100 pounds per share. So it really is that simple. You take effectively the average of everything you of, of what all of those shares you've, you've the price you've paid for all those shares, and then we'll use that to calculate your capital gain. Now, as with anything in finance, it's not always that straightforward, but a lot of um, platforms will calculate this for you. So they'll provide you with a cost base. They'll provide you with your total realized gain, or sorry, your total unrealized gain, and then. Uh, as well as as realized gains if and when you sell. So a lot of this stuff is done for you by the platforms. Um, one area where this maybe wouldn't be the case is if it's very easy to to split them. So for example, let's say you bought uh, 10 of a particular share on Trading212, for example, and then you bought 10 of the same share on Hargreaves Lansdowne. Now, as much as you hold um, 20 of those shares, you hold them on different platforms. So actually, you know, if you sell them on Trading212 or sell them on Hargreaves Lansdowne, it's very easy to take the cost base off of the shares that you've bought. So that's why it's different if you hold them on different platforms. But if you hold them on the same platform, you can't really identify which of those shares you're selling and which of those that you're buying because they are the same. You know, one share is exactly the same as another one you bought. So that's a really good question, though, Danny. Thank you for sending that one through, um, because it's just again one of those nuanced things that can be can be really easy to miss. Now, the next question I've had come through is from Anna, and Anna's got in touch with me via Instagram. And Anna is in the process of moving jobs, and she currently uh, receives a defined benefit or has a defined benefit contribution. Sorry, let me start that again. She has a defined benefit pension scheme through her current employer. And the job that she is leaving or potentially going to be leaving to go to is a uh, offers a defined contribution scheme. So she's moving from one to the other and she's asked me how to compare the two because obviously if you're moving uh, moving jobs, it's very easy to compare the salary and, and you know kind of benefits package in most in most ways. It's very easy to compare a salary. It's very easy to compare a bonus structure. It's easy to compare the healthcare options. All those things can be very um, it's quite black and white whether one is offering something better than the other. But when it comes to a pension scheme, a defined benefit versus defined contribution, that is a bit more muddy. Um, there's not a really straightforward way to compare these two. Now, this is a really interesting question because it is something that is going to become more common, not necessarily in people changing jobs, but also a lot of defined contribution schemes, uh, sorry, defined benefit schemes out there are transitioning to a form of defined contribution scheme. So talking through this issue uh, with Anna, the first thing that she needs to really understand about making this move is that in almost all cases, I say almost, there's always exceptions, but in almost all cases, moving from a defined benefit scheme or a final salary scheme to a defined contribution scheme is going to be a step down. You know, there's a reason why defined contribution schemes aren't available these days. I keep saying it. Sorry. There's a reason why defined benefit schemes aren't available these days. Uh, and that is because they are very, very attractive um, to the people who are in them, to the employees, and they ve are very, very costly for the people who are providing them, the employers. And there are many of them that have gone underwater because they are so expensive that there's been plenty of employers uh, in uh, in the past who haven't actually had the money to be able to meet their obligations. Now, that's not so much of an issue anymore because there is something that's known as the Pension Protection Fund, 
which is basically like a government insurance comp uh, insurance policy for these schemes. So make sure that if you are in a defined benefit scheme that it will basically always pay out. Maybe not quite in the same way or as in quite as an attractive way, but there will always be a payout there for you. It has government backing. So anytime you're looking at this comparison, there isn't a very easy way to do the comparison. Now, one example of of when this comparison does happen is to do with the lifetime allowance. So I've talked about this before. You can have up to just over a million pounds I think, uh, in, in a pension scheme before you pay an extra penalty tax charge for taking the money out. Now, that is very easy to work out when you've got a defined contribution scheme, a regular pension scheme, because you've either got a million quid in there or you don't. Um, if you have more than that, you pay the tax charge. Where it gets a bit more complicated is with a defined benefit scheme because defined benefit schemes still um, still count towards that lifetime allowance. So the way the government looks at that is they effectively take the total annual payment for the defined benefit scheme and times that by 20. So if you're receiving a um, you know a, a 10,000 pound a year, uh, final salary scheme, that's your pension payment that you're due to receive, that will use up, to, uh, times up by 20, that will use up £200,000 of your lifetime allowance. So that is a very crude way you can compare the two. Now, that's not a great way to compare the two because, you know, they don't they don't pay in the same way. So that that is one way that the government looks at the valuation of a defined benefit scheme. But in my opinion, if you are ever looking um, looking at this as a potential move, it's important to understand that it is a downgrade because you're moving from somewhere where you're not having to take any investment risk. You have a guaranteed level of return in terms of a guaranteed increase each year in how much pension you're accruing and you that will last for your entire life. So if there's a medical breakthrough and we all start living to 120 years old, that pension scheme will pay you until you are 120 years old. No matter how long you live, you know that you're going to receive that annual income from that defined benefit pension scheme. A defined contribution scheme takes all the risk from the employer and puts all that risk onto you. So you need to make choices about your investments. You need to make choices about your withdrawals. You need to make choices about your contributions. You need to make all of the choices and then try and manage that as best as possible to make sure your money lasts as long as possible. So you're taking on a lot more risk. You need to be taking on investment risk in order to grow that money above inflation. You're taking on, long, taking on longevity risk because there's always a chance that your money will run out before you do. So if you are looking at moving jobs between somewhere that offers a defined benefit scheme and the new one that offers a defined contribution scheme, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. I mean, especially these days, even the defined benefit schemes that are offered to newer employees aren't as good as what they used to be, but they are still generally good. Um, you need to understand that there should be an increase in compensation elsewhere. So if you're moving from a job that has this, uh, moving to a job that has the same pay, the same working conditions, the same working environment, the same everything, except it's moving from a defined benefit to a defined contribution scheme, that is a worse pay packet, in my opinion. So if, on the other hand, you're moving from a, a job that has a defined benefit scheme to a defined contribution scheme and it has better hours or more pay or a better bonus structure or more room for advancement, etc., then, okay, that's fine. You can start to weigh up whether those, those um, additions or those in improvements are worth it from, from your perspective. So 
unfortunately, there isn't a hard and fast answer to this question. I think it's just important understanding that it is a downgrade, and therefore, if you are moving, making that move, then it's important that it's an upgrade in certain other areas. Now, there is also uh, this issue also comes up, and I had somebody I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but somebody who worked for Royal Mail, um, and I've had people in teachers' pension schemes uh, as well. So I've spoken to spoken to recently, where the workplace or the company, the place that they work is moving them from a defined benefit scheme to a defined contribution scheme. And this is a very common thing for for the reasons I was explaining before in that it's really expensive for an employer to offer these. It has it puts a lot of risk on the employer and they, they don't like that. So you see this quite often where the company will put the offer out to tender. They will provide a lot of very complicated, complex calculations and examples that honestly make it very hard to actually make the call as to whether the move is is a better one for you or not. And they, again, are all different. You know, some of the moves are more generous than others. Some offer additional contributions um, in lieu of the defined benefit scheme. Some offer earlier access than the, defined, than the defined benefit contribution scheme. There are loads of different nuances depending on what your scheme provider and what your employer has negotiated. But again, in my opinion, the rule, the broad rule is the same. You know, the reason why a company is moving from one scheme to another is not because they want to increase their costs or increase their risk. They're looking to reduce their costs or reduce their risk. And when it comes to retirement, it doesn't mean that that risk is just going away. It means it's being redirected from your employer or the pension fund to you and your pension fund. So, this isn't necessarily even something you can do anything about in a lot of cases. You know, I know in many cases the, um, the the decisions have already been made and it's been communicated to employers, uh, sorry, employees, um, but not in a way that any, any changes can be made. But I just think, again, it's very important to understand that in a very large proportion of cases, that will mean that your retirement planning is going to need more focus, that you're going to be moving from somewhere where it's kind of set and forget, you can't really change much about it. Um, to something where you're going to have to take a lot more ownership as to what your retirement looks like. You're going to have to look at how much you're contributing to your fund. You know, all these sorts of things are, are not necessarily problems. They are just um, areas where there's going to have to be a little bit more focus. Now, there's a couple of news stories as well that I just wanted to touch on this week. We had, I'm sure you will have seen this, we had Elon Musk on Twitter um, doing a poll as to whether he should sell 10% of his Tesla stock. And this is off the back of um, some comments from the US government, uh, actually some some draft legislation, I believe, from the Biden administration that are they are looking at bringing in a tax for billionaires that is on unrealized capital gains. So obviously, you know, capital gains tax is levied in the, in the US the same as in the UK, where on gains that you've actually made. So we used that example from Danny earlier on, when we've sold the shares is when we pay capital gains tax on it. And the issue that has has kind of arisen is that for a lot of these billionaires, the vast, vast majority of their wealth is in company stock. You know, they um, Elon Musk is the richest man on earth because he owns Tesla stock and Tesla has gone through a meteoric price rise. Jeff Bezos is a very wealthy man, but the vast majority of his wealth is in Amazon stock. So whilst these people are worth a significant amount of money, they also have to be very careful about realizing that. You know, there are a lot of rules around when and if um, uh, 
directors and, and CEOs and that sort of thing can actually sell because obviously there's a huge risk of insider trading. So they can't just buy and sell shares in their own company at a whim whenever they want. There are set windows when the, the, you know all the information is public. There are generally set ways in which they can do it, set amounts, that sort of thing. So the idea is, is that they would be taxed on an annual basis based on how much their shares have risen in those companies. And obviously, billionaires are not very happy with this. Um, and I can understand it. You know, in many cases, uh, they may not have, they're still very wealthy, but given how much the, the prices of their companies can increase over a 12-month period, they might not actually have the cash to pay the tax bill that they get. So then it comes down to to liquidating assets. And obviously, that, that can get quite messy. So this is kind of Elon's um, little protest about this because he has talked about the fact that he, or his tweet was about the fact that he would have to sell Tesla stock in order to pay this tax because he doesn't have money, doesn't have really much money other than that. Um, and then, of course, very quickly you realize that, well, hold on, if he's going to sell 10% of Tesla, in one go, that's probably going to have a pretty big impact on the share price. And then given how much hype there is around Tesla and how much of a, a, a front of mind share price it is, if, if we saw the share price of Tesla fall significantly, you know, would that potentially spook the market, the wider market, especially seeing as we've gone through this large bull run for a couple of years in America, um, where a lot of people are calling for a crash anyway. And then if that does happen, if by forcing a billionaire to sell a bunch of his stock to pay a tax bill, you actually crash the market where a lot of regular people will lose a lot of money, does that really achieve the what it sets out to achieve? So, you know, the point is that this is a very complex issue and obviously people get very heated about it, I think especially when it comes to the origin, origins of tax in, in the US especially. It was originally designed to only be really wealthy people who pay income tax and now obviously the vast majority of us um, do pay income tax. But, you know, for me, it always, it always comes back to the same point, which is that you shouldn't be too heavily invested in one particular company. You know, yesterday, the Tesla stock price was down just under 5%, which isn't, you know, it's not too bad, really. It's nothing nothing to write home about. But I think the, the point is that, you know, the CEO of a, of, a, of a, you know, one of the largest companies on earth can jump on Twitter, type in 70 characters, and potentially tank a share price. And that's the kind of black swan um, event that can happen with really any company. You know, it's not necessarily Twitter, but, you know, BP had the um, Deepwater Horizon blow up. Um, there's always stuff that can happen to an individual company, no matter how strong that company is, no matter how much you believe in that company, no matter how well managed it is. There are always things that could come out of left field that could impact a single specific company. And that's why diversification is so important because you are diversifying out that unusual risk, those unplanned for, those unforeseen things. It doesn't mean that your shares aren't going to go up and down in value. It doesn't mean that you can't lose money, but it means that you are reducing or eliminating uh, areas where you can't, that you can't control. You can't control what Elon Musk says on Twitter. You can't control um, whether a pipeline blows up in the Gulf of Mexico. You can't control a high-profile aeroplane crash. You can't control these things, but you can control your exposure to them. Now, it's just starting to rain a little bit here, so hopefully you guys can still hear me okay. But um, 
the last thing I wanted to finish off with with today's episode is a little bit of an explanation about the rebrand. And I think for those of you who've been listening for a while, uh, you might be concerned that the content is going to change. I don't think it is going to change. My um, I've sent out a copy of my newsletter today, um, which if you've not checked that out, you can find the sign-up link, to, sign up link to that as well at um, thehedge.io. You know, everything like I say is available on there. But I, I did a bit of an explanation in today's um, today's edition of of the newsletter, and so I thought it'd be it'd be good to just kind of go over that. And you know, I think the 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 line that I use in the newsletter, which is a line that I like, is that you know the the, that I want you to know that the content isn't changing, it's just growing. So there are still going to be episodes like this where I talk about specifics that are happening in, in tax and in news and in, in investing and in personal finance. But for me, when it comes to the name, so I've called it The Hedge. So why have I called it The Hedge? Well, a hedge is something that protects against a negative outcome. So we've all heard of hedging your bets. You know, we talk about, or I talk about um, hedge funds and, you know, the fact that the reason why they're called hedge funds is because they can make money when the stock markets go up as uh, well as when they go down. So they can make money kind of no matter what is happening um, in the world, whether that's good news or whether that's bad news. And that's what I want to provide you with my content. So, you know, I want to give you information and, and news and ideas and trends that make sure that you're in a position to win and to grow wealth, no matter whether the world is up or down. Now, I want to get quite a bit more broad on what that means about growing wealth, because for me, something that I'm learning from, from myself and, you know, what I see in successful people all the time, successful people that I speak to as clients, successful people that I've been lucky enough to speak to on the podcast, is that, being wealthy is not just about saving every penny of tax and diversifying your portfolio and reducing your risk and picking the right funds and platform and all that sort of stuff. That is part of it, which is why I will keep talking about that. That is part of it. That's part of what makes a good financial plan and a good financial situation. But it's also about the the broader stuff around money. It's about playing to your strengths in your career, learning about personal branding. It's about building a business that you know gives you the freedom um, to live in the way that you want to live and to, to work in the way that you want to work. And even more broadly than that, it's about doing all those things in a way in a way that makes you feel happy and fulfilled. Because I see too many people who are very, very wealthy and they're still very, very unhappy. And I think it's because they haven't taken the time to realize what they're building wealth for. And this is not a change to how I've been talking to you guys since the beginning. I've always said that your money is a tool to live the life you want to live. And I want to focus on the money, continue to focus on the money, continue to focus on growing wealth, but also broaden that out a little bit to talk more about living the life you want to live and delving into how you or how we can work that out. And I, for, for that side of things, I'm going to be leaning on my guests because I'm not an expert on that. I'm not an expert on happiness. I'm not an expert on living life in an authentic way. I do my best to do that. But it's going to be a bit of a learning journey for me with talking to these people um, about these things and then linking that back to growing wealth, which is obviously my my expertise. So I hope you will stay with me on this kind of path to to learn more about this stuff. Um, like I say, there will, all, there will continue to be the content that you're after, um, but there's just going to be kind of more of it. Now, with, with that in mind, I do want to still keep hearing questions from you guys. So I want to hear questions that you have about personal finance. I want to hear questions that you have about investing and about money. I would really like to know what's going on um, in, in your own financial situation and the kind of nuts and bolts issues that you're having. 
But I would also love to hear from you the broader issues that you're having in your life, whether that's um, you know mindset around money, whether that's career issues, whether that's about understanding what makes you truly happy. And I ask you to send me those questions on the understanding and the proviso that I personally probably won't be able to answer them for you. I'm not an expert on that. But what I want to be able to do is continue to bring you content that you find useful. And when it comes to the financial planning side, the investment side, I can do that myself. But if I'm getting a bunch of questions about um, how to find your dream job or how to be more confident or how to stop drinking or how to get fitter or how to um, start a business, whatever the issue is, then that gives me some guidance as to the kind of guests that I should be coming on to bring you that stuff. And the kind of pattern that I would really like to get into and that I'm aiming for is kind of week on of me and week on of a guest. It won't always perfectly stick to that um, depending on on schedules and that sort of stuff, but um, you can kind of rest assured that there will be that continuation of the personal finance content, of the investing content with some more broad um, broad detail about you know growing wealth in a way that makes you um, feel fulfilled and happy. So I appreciate you taking the um, your I appreciate you your patience in listening to me explain that. Um, the good news is the content's going to be awesome. Like honestly, some of the people that I'm speaking to, it's like it just buzzes me it buzzes me up so much because their message is is. Uh, the messages are, are really, really good. Um, the, the stories that they're, they're, they're telling me and the stuff that they're sharing with me is gets me really excited about not just myself, it gets me excited for me, obviously, being able to have those conversations, but it gets me really excited about some of the, some of the, some of the um, see, I'm speaking too fast now because I'm getting excited just thinking about it, but it gets me excited about being able to share that with you guys. So, as always, I really appreciate you you sticking with me on the episode today. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you have questions, if you want to get in touch, if you want to see more content from me, you can find it at thehedge.io.